You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, hello, hello, hello. You are with The Dice Men Cometh, Australia's leading tabletop board game radio show and podcast for all those listeners out there it is episode 331 believe it or not with myself garth no leon because he's away making chocolate and dreams come true and with me as always is mark i'm here again garth you can never get rid of me now that i'm back and uh how are you I hear you. You haven't been well. No, I've got several frogs in several throats at the moment. Oh, no. Uh, but I'm certainly, certainly negatively ratted every single day for what feels like an eternity. There is not an orifice that has not had a little probing thing going in there and making sure that there's no COVID stuck in the nooks and crannies of one one me. But anyway, Mark, it's been a pretty exciting old week for it, us down in the, in this little country of Australia, isn't it? It sure has. There's been a couple of things happening that, you know, some of them happen about this time of year every year. And sometimes those other things, they only happen maybe every three years or so, perhaps, because we've, at this stage, we've had a change of government here in Australia. We're not, we're not quite sure of the final details yet of the numbers. But Garth, I think because we don't want to isolate our rabid right or loony left or in fact cheerful centrist listeners at all, <laughs> I think I'm going to touch politics this week apart to say it's going to be interesting to see how things change. Well, that's it. Either congratulations, commiserations or somewhere in between, I yeah. guess is the easy way to, to appease everybody. I, I just didn't bother voting. I didn't see that... any uh, any gamers parties on the, uh, on the Senate uh, ballot paper. And I tell you what, it was big enough because I did some work for the AEC. I was handling the ballot papers oh, okay. uh, in a fully legal manner, of, of course. course. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, in Victoria, there was 26 parties above the line in New South Wales, 23 in Canberra. They had a little cute Senate paper that was only about this big. That's great. Uh, it was. was Did it? you get lots of democracy sausages for those extra hours you put in? I got none. Oh, because I was locked in a building for like 11 hours. I'm sure there was some board gaming group out there who was just smashing out DeMarker. <laughs> that's, the only, so. that's the only way to celebrate, surely. Absolutely. But anyway, enough of the first big thing that happened this week. What was the second big thing, Garth? Second big thing this week? Well, there's this little country in Europe. Mm. Currently hasn't been invaded, so that's good. Oh, excellent. However, they do dominate the world in terms of board game awards. Absolutely. And we are talking about the one and only SDJ. Yes, for the those Spiel, the, the Spiel des Jahres. Exactly right. The games of the year. And they have announced who those nominees are so far for 2022. Mm, now, always controversial. Always controversial. Look, we, we, we'll start off super duper light mm. and going super duper light when you're talking about the spiel is <laughs> is being very generous even to the kids games yep. that they're being announced considering the weight of the actual main nominees but anyway so nominated for children's game of the year 2022 is also clever by wolfgang vorsch which is basically a new and kid-friendly version of um gunshot clever Dopolt so clever yeah yeah one of those dicey roll some dice do some things tick and write type sheets correct you've then got uh with quacks and co to quedlinburg by some designer called wolfgang vosh <laughs> he's having a good run he is i mean he knows how to design a game and then design it slightly more simply for kids yeah so that's great and then you've got zuckerberg no <laughs> Not quite. Zauberberg by Jans Peter Schliemann and Bernhard Weber, which I don't know anything about, so I'll leave it up to you, Mark. A magical marble run, yeah. Sounds exciting. Um, You can even play it solo. Don't start the kids off playing solo games. Oh, my goodness, they've got enough neuroses as it is. Let them play with their friends. Correct, I think so. And you've got a couple of nominations, uh, sorry, recommended games, and and we won't even bother going there because... Look, it's going to be hard whether or not we play any of those three games. Mm. Um, But if we get a chance, we'll absolutely try it out. Then 
What do you want to go next, Mark? Do you want to go to the biggest, heaviest behemoth? Oh, no, don't go, the heavy, go to the, don't go heavy. Don't go super heavy. Yeah, you want to ease your way into it by going to the, the main... No, like no, the... I was going to say, let's not go super heavy. Let's go to the Kennish Bill because there's nothing super heavy in that. <laughs> All right, well, let's go straight to the, the meat of this <laughs> the, particular the sandwich. The big cheeses. Which is so heavy it hurts. Oh, my goodness. So the Kennish Bill games for this year, uh, number one is Cryptid, which is essentially a game for three to five players where you're trying to find the elusive cryptid. You're mm-hmm. trying to find these things. Um, it's it's deductive movement. You, you basically go to a spot and say, is there a thing? And you might find out some information. Um, it's really actually quite fun. I've played it a couple of times. Yeah, because you and Leon have played this one. I haven't played it. Yeah, so uh, it, it's actually quite relaxing to know that I've played all the Kenner Spiel games oh. nominees already. So that's uh, that's my job. Tick, done. Uh, so Cryptid, yeah, look, it's a little puzzle. And it, and it's good fun. There's heaps and heaps of replayability yep. in there. We then move on to Dune Imperium, which, oh. look, we've had our thoughts about Dune Imperium. Uh, go back and listen to Dune v. Dune Imperium mm. a few episodes ago. Uh, it's a great game. Does it deserve wherever it is now on the BGG list of all-time games already? Still continuing to climb, no doubt. Uh, Correct. Particularly after this. Uh, all of course. And look, June is hot, um, you know, because that's where the spice grows. But also, it is very popular. <laughs> it's a desert planet. Correct. And look, June Imperium, it probably deserves its spot there because it is very accessible. It's not hard to play. Well, how about we do the other... Yeah, we do yeah. this before yeah, we worry yeah, about sure, whether or not it should be in the Kenish Belt. Yeah. And then... Um, Living Forest. Now, we've played Living Forest. I've played it a couple of times. Yes. Um, with my kids and uh, with with you guys. Your, your kids are becoming so advanced playing Kennishville games. I know, Garth. I know. Uh, and we haven't talked about it. We have had the Living Forest review on Leon's, like the flip side of a coaster, yeah. the review ready to go, and we've never made time for it or, or more appropriately had time. No, it's made time. We just rattle on too much. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I don't know whether our review would change at all, um, given that we've seen this nomination for the Heavy Game Award of the Year. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we should wait till next episode and, and have a chat about that. Yeah. Who knows? So we'll see what Leon's doing. And then there's a few. Uh, there's a few little games recommended. Most notably, a little zoo building game called mm. Ark Nova. Yeah. Which at least is a heavy-ish game. I mean, I know I said, oh, is it really a heavy game? But compared to Crypto Dune Imperium and Living Forest, oh, my God, it's made of a solid titanium. Well, you could play all of those games at least once, (laughs) all three of them, in the same time that one game of Ark Nova is going to take. definitely. Possibly multiple times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, uh, there's another couple of other recommendations in the list, but, look, Ark Nova is... It's the elephant in the room. <laughs> I did that. Or in the in the cage. Yes. Correct. Um, so well, no look, cages now. No cages in. No. Place. No. So look, it's not surprising for a Kenneth Bill that it's not nominated because it is probably too long and probably too complex given this caliber yeah. of nominations. Yeah. Um, I think it deserves to be in there in the recommended list because out of all of these games, this is the gamiest game that yeah. in this particular list. So that's the. <laughs> That's the that's heavy the, games? That's the heavy games. All right, let's Cryptid, go lighter. Dune Imperium and... Look, when we talk about Living Forest, yeah. spoiler alert, not heavy. So, uh, let's go to the actual Spiel games. The which big are like, one. These are the big games. These are the ones where the judges will want these games to sell off the shelves of German Target and German Woolworths mm. and all of that because that's that's what they want to do. This yeah. Putting this sticker on the box just makes the board games fly off the shelves. Yeah. So we've got Cascadia, which is... In doing research, this is the number one abstract game ever, according to Board Game Geek. Yeah, and we had a question recently from a listener basically saying, what do you think? Um, is it way overrated? Why are people talking about it so much? And we had to basically say, uh, I don't know. Because we haven't played it. And it's right up there on our list of games we're going to play when we go to BorderCon coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes. So, yes, anyone who is going to BorderCon uh, and has a copy of Cascadia, um, just make sure that we're available to play it because absolutely that's something we need to play. Uh, It's also the heaviest game out of the three nominees at a whopping 1.9 out of (laughs) 5. 
We then get a scout by Kei Kajino. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so it's one of the Oink games. It's that little box, you know, I love uh, Deep Sea Adventure, for yep. example. There's Bandito. There's oh, like millions yeah, of Oink games out there. And if they were really reasonably priced, they'd probably fly off the shelves even oh, yeah. more so in Australia. I just think we're suffering from you know, the ongoing shipping stuff. Um, haven't played Scout. Again, um, when someone at BorderCon has this, and I'm sure there's got to be someone who's got it tucked away in their pocket or their gaming quiver, perhaps. Yes, Aos. Uh, then hopefully Scout will be getting to the table. But it's it's basically a like, card-laying game, three to five people, ages nine plus, which is really ages probably five plus. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Top 10, which hasn't had an English version release yet. Um, but again, it's it sells itself as a party game. A party game nominated for the Spiel des Jahres. Now, I mean, I know, I know there have been others, but these all go from yeah. a, a weighting of one point one or one point oh five yes. to one point nine. Uh, this, this, this is this is lightest of light. I wonder when they're going to bring in like the the mega Kenner Spiel or yeah. you know bring in another top end award to come in over the top of. The Canish Bill, because everything yep. is just sliding to the lighter side of things. And look, we know people are busy. People don't want to learn rules. People, have you heard of Rodney? Have you heard of all those other rule rules makers out there? I mean, it, it's it's so much easier to learn. And I mean, you know, recently we've just been talking about uh, a game we've got, Wonderland's War. That yeah. again, people are going crazy about and. That seems like a, particularly compared to these games, a really, really, really complicated game <laughs> with so much going on because yeah. the rules video goes for at least 10 minutes. Sure does. And the game probably takes, you know, 30 to 40, 30 odd minutes per player. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, and I can, I can, I can actually speak for all these Kenneth Spiel games is that none of them go long. Like Dune Imperium is definitely the longest out of yeah, those yeah. three. But that's not a long game. You've had no. a couple of games and you can smash it out. It's 10 rounds, I guess, because you're flipping it over with yes. those battle cards anyway. And you're racing to not many points. Yeah, this is... It's it's just continuing the sliding scale of simplicity. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, people people do love these games. We know they do. As you said, it whichever one wins, and even these ones have been nominated now, will fly off the shelves. Um, so look, we may, well, I'm sure we will devote some more time to the winners at least when they're announced. I think it's coming, um, mid July ish. Yeah. I think the 16th of July, it's going to be announced in, uh, in German time. So that'll be a day day or so after for us. Uh, we absolutely will be talking about living forest because we have played that and probably a good opportunity for, I think Leon still has crypted. Um, for the three of us to maybe yeah. get a game of that in just so that we can all tick off the fact that we've yep. all played the uh, the Kenner Spiel Award nominees. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, we're going to talk about a couple of actual games. I think with heaviness, more than one and a half, that's for sure. I'm not sure how much more. But let's take a quick break, play some music, come back, talk about a couple of board games, because that's what we do here at the Dice Ben Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Very quiet start to this one. Hey everyone, this is Garth here, dialing in fresh from finishing our secret bonus episode for Patreon backers only on a Saturday night with Mark and Leon. And I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit spent because we have just spent an hour and a half going through our wonderful lists of games that make us swear. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, and you haven't heard what Patreon is all about, well, let me just tell you that if you become an official friend of the Dice Man, which you can do by going to our Patreon and just becoming a little supporter, it's a bargain price, you will become an official friend of ours. And for that privilege, you'll get a couple of dice sent out to you. You'll get to listen to these exclusive episodes that we're going to be bringing out at least once per month. They're going to be very different to the show. Because we're going to ask all of our backers for input. You get to ask us questions, tell us what kind of episodes you want, and then we'll deliver. Because that's the kind of people we are. But if you want more, you'll automatically be entered into our quarterly Friends of the Dicemen only board game giveaway. And you might want to have a look at our Instagram page to check out what kind of quality games that we've got. So the first three winners 
have got their games going over to them already, which is wonderful. And that includes someone getting them all the way on the other side of the planet. You can ask us questions and we'll you know answer them as honestly as we're allowed to. You'll get extra bonus entries into any standard competitions that we've got. And oh boy, oh boy, do we run some seriously cool competitions. Not to mention that, that if and when you happen to be in the same convention at the same space as the same dice people, you get to have games with us. You get to go to the top of the queue to do that because sometimes that's going to be something that we're going to be able to do. And I think for the low, low price of whatever it is our Patreon pledge is, jump onto patreon.com forward slash dice men cometh. You should go and investigate that because you know you want to. You know you want us to be at conventions and you know you want to listen to some more exclusive Dice Man content. So jump over there, say hello to the other backers, interact, talk with us. And anyway, on with the show. There you go. That was so lovely and quiet there. That was Maddie featuring Amwin Roberts from Billy Rafferty here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Man Cometh. And I have to say, Garth, in typical Tazzy style, mm-hmm. I find out I know Billy Rafferty. <laughs> or in fact, I know her parents, uh, Paul and Anna Meek, that I met many years ago. And the last time I saw Billy, I think she was about eight or nine. <laughs> so that was a while back. But look, she's obviously doing really well. Um, got more than one song here in the Edge Radio computer. So maybe another one will spit out some other time. But it doesn't get much bigger than that. No, that's right. But... As we say here on the Dice Men, Garth. Well, talking about one musical act to another one, because yes. we're now talking about BTS. BTS, <laughs> yes. Have they got a game out? Well, uh, yes, absolutely. Dance, dance. Well, I don't know. But we are talking about BTS. Yeah. Um, in this case, BTS is Beyond the Sun, mm. which is a very a very beautiful game mark it's it's very beautiful it's lovely you really love it oh there's so much artwork on that main board guard exactly and the theme is just anyway <laughs> what is beyond the sun look beyond the sun is let me explain please please do the first thermonuclear war was not kind to the earth oh no over the last two centuries civil unrest and climate change it is real <laughs> continued to ravage every region of the globe Crop yields were plunging, resources were depleting, and poverty and crime were rampant. (gasps) Humanity was facing extinction. The solution seemed clear. Abandon Earth and find a new home among the stars. Faced with the prospect of annihilation, the remaining factions on Earth came together on New Year's Eve 2240. Woo party! Exactly. The Treaty of Scientific Exchange was signed at the old site of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. The world's resources were poured into spacefaring research mm. and all discoveries were shared on a globally distributed or distributed network. Owned the, by Elon Musk? Doesn't or say. Or Jeff Bezos? Doesn't say. For the first time in history, well, I would dare say that Elon Musk's head will be in a <laughs> jar on top of a robot. Yes. So for the first time in history, humanity acted as one. Mm. In only six short years, the first hyper spacecraft was built by the engineers of the Nishida Ustagard Corporation under the leadership of Dr. Edmund Sato, and the technology was shared with the rest of the world. Humanity had finally entered the space-faring era. Now, soon after this Keystone discovery, other factions also researched primitive terraforming techniques, radiation-resistant crops, asteroid mining, and other key components for human survival outside the solar system. Countless exoplanet expeditions were initiated every month. Mm -hmm. Now that a solution has been found, ambition for power and control stirred in each faction once again. Ah, the factions. And that is officially the most theme about this particular game (laughs) because it is beyond the sun affectionately known as what research track, the research track, tech tree, the tech tree game. And if you go and have a look at any of the pictures of this particular game and any of the video reviews, it's all unanimously, this is one bland looking board game and would be quite at home five, 10, 20 years ago because even the art is a really big meh. Well, I must admit, when I first saw the main board of this, which is mostly one colour, which is white pretty much. Yeah. Um, you, I thought it may have been a print and play. We may have got it 
our hands on a pre-production copy <laughs> or something. Uh, but no. No. And, no. and this is it. And, the, and the, the main board, there are two boards. The main board is basically a, a, a normal rectangular board uh, made up of slightly smaller rectangles on there. And each of those are going to be your tech tree because mm. this, this entire game is starting at zero research and zero tech and trying to get yourself probably as far as you can go up some or, or as many of these um, tech trees as you possibly can. Oh, hang on, hang on. I forgot about the cards, though. Yeah. It's got some ama amazing, amazing card art where the cards are mostly one colour. Yeah. White with a bit of black print on them. That's right. So when, when you actually end this game, it's going to look even more white than <laughs> when, you, when you started it. So look, this game has been getting a lot of really positive um, press and a lot mm. of really positive reviews over the last 12 months or so, really, um, because it came out, virtually sold out, and then they went, oh, we better print another version of this. And look, we need to tip our hat to to friend of the show and my brother-in-law, Trent, for buying this game yes. completely out of the blue, going, oh, I've bought it. Sh should I teach it to you guys now? It's like, yeah, okay, that's great. So it's before any of us had heard or we seen had no any idea. of this. Um, now, basically what you're going to be doing, and it does play up to four players, is... On your turn, you're going to be doing one thing. So mm -hmm. it is a worker placement game where you'll be moving your a worker <laughs> to a spot yep. to do a thing. So you're always going to have these baseline technologies and they're the you know, spacefaring technologies that will allow you to you know, research a new thing, move some ships around on a board that we haven't talked about yet. Um, get some resources, and, and you've each also got your own little individual faction board, your player board, which comprises the two thinnest possible versions of what would possibly be called cardboard <laughs> yes. or cardboard substitute <laughs> to create a somehow two-layer player board yeah. that is just enough indentation to hold all your pieces yes. without them sliding off. It's crazy. It's almost like if you took one layer of paper and then you got a second layer of paper, but then that second layer of paper, maybe you shaved it down halfway. <laughs> it's like, it's almost not even like two layers of paper between the two boards. It's fascinating that engineering technology exists. Clearly that's how we got to space well, exactly to create right. such a board. And I reckon it was just made of paper because they're completely white yeah. as well. <laughs> Except for the black text on them, there's there's really nothing to differentiate these from from any other. They saved a lot of, of money on on coloured ink though in this game. They definitely. sure did. So hopefully that reflected in the price. So what you're going to be doing is essentially trying to progress up various tech trees, and there are four different types of tech that you can um, go and specialise in. And this is where the game immediately becomes different every single time. Yeah. Because in order to progress up a tech tree, you need to have researched the previous technology. So say I've researched a blue technology, which is scientific. That then leads to the next level, tier mm. one to tier two. And there are a couple of those spaces where you only needed to have researched one level one technology to be able to then upgrade to a level yep. two. So if it's blue, the next one has to be blue yep. as well. Because they all have on the left side of the card an input that says, okay, the stuff that's coming in here, this is this is scientific or this is economic or military or commercial, and it's going to spit out one of those four as well. So by, by progressing up the technology tree, which is what you're going to really be focusing on, you, if you are leading that charge, you'll get to dictate what kind of game you're playing. Mm. Are you going to be playing a military one? Military leads into a lot of space fighting, which we'll get to on this other board. Yeah. Are you going to lead to a scientific one, which is, you know, not so warry, not so fighty? Um, and, and the board state can really dramatically change mm. because, you know, while there are four level one technology spots and they're always going to be the same four, they're just going to be randomized on what location there are. You then got six level twos and there are definitely more than six level two cards yep. so that's always going to be a random smattering you've then got the same i think six level threes and you've only got three level fours and mm. level fours their end game they're all about getting the big victory points and their multiplier so if you want to get up the tech tree you want to be the first to get to that level four because you get to choose uh whenever you flip over a technology you get to basically draw blindly from the pile until you've got two cards that have the right colors you choose which one you want and put the other one on the bottom and away you go now it's pretty simple mechanically. So simple, in fact, I'm surprised it's not on the Spiel des Jahres nominee. 
probably too, it's too, too heavy. heavy. It, it, sorry, it is it is over three in weight. So yeah, yeah. maybe maybe the super Kenner spiel. Maybe the the player board is light enough to be uh, <laughs> entered into the uh, the the spiel this year, but. Yeah, but look, all of the technologies of which you will be revealing and flipping over, and you, and this is, I guess, one of the big points about this game, is that it's not a predetermined tech tree. Yeah. The only thing predetermined is that there's always going to be those four starting technologies on level one. You know they're always going to be there. Um, but after that, it's just completely random. Yeah, and, that, and it, this is great. It, always, it, it depends on who tries to drive ahead first, who tries to like really, really drive ahead because it can be a race to get up to those level fours because, as you said, they're the big victory points. But also then, as the different technologies are revealed, it, it the game really unfolds, as you said, very differently each time because quite often you might get one really powerful or really useful action and others not so powerful. But because only one, or unless you've got other technologies, you know, generally... Only one one person gets to go and do like a the normal action, but then like a beefed up version or an extra action. Sorry, I might have stolen your thunder there. Um, and then the, the other people who go on, they don't get to do the special action. Hang on, am I getting confused? I think so. It's been a little while. Maybe you should tell us how it works, Garth. Well, there are, look, when, when you're going to research a new action, which you're going to be doing quite early on and quite often, you, you've got to spend some resources from your board. Mm -hmm. So, for example, all of the level one technologies are available. They've all been essentially researched. However, you've still got to go and say, okay, yep, I, my corporation can now do that. So you move your meeple over there, uh, you spend the required resources and you put a, they look like cubes. They are cubes, but they're never going to be rolled. <laughs> yes. They're, they're pieces yeah. um, and you'll spend one of your people scientists to go there okay I'm, I'm expending this scientist he's now going to be learning this particular solely devoted to that technology, to that technology now forever and ever i can now do it which means that i can now potentially progress up that little bit of the yeah. tech tree um, and you'll need to have probably all four level ones yeah um, because you need to spread your net far and wide when it comes to this technology tree but then one of your actions will be okay i can go to this generic level zero technology spend some resources and the, the primary resources are going to be or um or or your workers or yeah. your dice you'll spend those ones you'll spend some some resources and that allows you to then research a level two technology as long as you've met the prerequisites which are researching the relevant level ones yeah and you're just basically doing that same model over and over again up till you get the level fours but obviously they become increasingly more expensive and complicated yes. to a research get the benefit out of them because once you've researched them and you've got your little scientist on there it opens up a new space for your one worker to yes. go to and that's going to open up a plethora of options mm. for you and one of the the ways that you will also be getting points as well as just progressing through this tech tree is to then be on the space board which is ah, the space board which is a completely separate board where you've got various sections where there are two decks of planet cards you've got the, the a and the b deck and it's basically a little airy control game that's going on yep. there. One of the sides, sorry, three of the sides of your ship, of your dice, no, four of the sides on mm. your dice, which are not dice because you don't roll them, are four categories of ships. They have a picture of a ship and a one, two, or a three, or a yep. four, depending on the strength of your fleet. If, as you go around, if you have the most strength on that particular planet, then you'll get to have some level of control over it, which means you get one of your production discs onto that planet yes I'm, I'm exploiting this particular planet's resources and the main thing that the resources are going to be again either ore or plants yeah you take one of the discs from your player board which is chock a block of these discs and you want to get rid of them yes that's right it's one of those player boards where the more stuff you get off the more abilities the more resources the more opportunities you get to do stuff that's right and they're all you've got two sides or Two different player boards. You can play with all the player boards basically exactly the same, or you can play with the Advanced asymmetric, ones. asynchronous yeah. ones. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Um, but the the definitely, you want to start with just the vanilla version yeah. of this game. <laughs> it's all vanilla, Garth. It is what all are vanilla. they saying? <laughs> it even looks vanilla. But as you're going to space, um, you know, taking uh, control temporarily of those planets mm. allows you to move either your ore or your food production tokens over there. Now, the reason that's important is, as you say, the more the more discs you get off your player board out 
onto the other parts of the game are going to mean that when you've done your action, you've moved your worker to the spot and done the thing, the next part of your action is the production phase. Yeah. And this is where the more the more discs you've got off the player board, the more efficient your production is yeah. going to be. And what you're typically going to be producing is either more scientists, mm -hmm. you're going to be moving these dice that are not dice, they're resource cubes, but they look like dice, um, across <laughs> to your board to then be used in future turns, yeah. or you're going to be getting more ore, which is the universal currency. The third thing that you can do is basically a, a, a somewhat complicated resource trade. Yes. Uh, which actually, the first time we played it, I don't know if anyone actually used that action at did. all. In the second time, and I remember this quite specifically, I used the bejeebus out of this yes. action. And I don't know about you, but I know the result of that second game, Mark. Yes, I do know the result of that game, Uh So I, I used it to good effect. <laughs> so I would strongly suggest that get your head around that and, and use it. So look, with the spaceboard, you're sending out your ships over there. Temporary control allows you to move one or potentially two of those um, little uh, discs over there. But the key is, once you've got enough strength over there to, to meet or exceed the you know strength of the planet... You then claim it. You've colonized it when you do a colonize action, which again is an action that becomes available through technologies. Mm. So you need to go up the tech tree to be able to do colonization because otherwise you're just exploiting these planets like, I don't know, Avatar. Whereas you <laughs> want to be able to successfully colonize the planet like in Avatar. And that'll allow you to get the unobtainium you need. <laughs> yes to then go further up the tech tree. Because again, once you've colonized the planet, you bring it over to your little individual section of the world, you get to put another disc on mm. which is awesome. Because then you know those discs are not going anywhere. Yep. Whereas if they're still on the player board, space board, sorry, and someone else with a bigger fleet goes over there and takes the planet that you haven't quite conquered yet, your stuff goes back on your board and your production efficiency just plummets. And when you look at this game on the table... Don't. <laughs> yes, good point. But when you hear this game described, you think, oh, it's a space battling game with 4X. lots of battles in the oh, space. 4X, woo! And really, I mean, as we talked about it, you could almost you could almost throw away the space board and just do the, the tech tree, and then this game would be called Tech Tree, the tech tree game. Well, what do you think about that? What well, do you think about these two boards? Because... I certainly have my opinion on the boards, but I'd be curious to see yours. <sighs> Look, I the interesting part of this game is how you build your tech tree, how the different techs that come out allow you to go from one level to the next, and whether this game, because of the tech that people choose, because you're narrowing down the options of the different types of tech as you go forward, that this game might be a a battle-heavy game, for example, if lots of battle techs come out. Yeah, if someone And if someone each goes time military, you choose mm. that, okay, the you know, military and another colour, well, I get to choose which one. Well, I'm going to choose the military. So you can you could go very military-heavy. Or in the total opposite direction, you could go really military-light. That will really change the nature of the game. But I know I just, I just wasn't... Like... I should say I enjoyed this game because I do like I do like tech trees. Good. This game is for you. Then. I think I know. When I play a game like Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition, I feel sometimes I put more effort into developing my tech tree than I do to going out and fighting in space because I know everyone's going to pick on me. But not if I've got really good tech. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the tech trees. But there's the tech tree, and then there's this board where you do some stuff. Yep. Um, but the thing is, though, yeah, and this, yeah, and this yeah. is where, you know, I'm pretty sure you've stolen my opinion. <laughs> I We don't often agree. I could quite easily just throw the space bit in the bin. Mm. I don't care about it. It doesn't interest me. But you can't. You can't forget about yeah. it. Because there are just too many points available there. When you take a planet, a planet might be worth three, four, five victory points once you've colonised yeah. it. Yeah. That is massive. The reason it's massive is that one of the ways that this game is going to end is that at the start, there are three achievement cards that mm. are placed there. 
And the game will end once there are four discs on those three achievement cards. So theoretically, one for each player. One player could get all four of those and that ends the game. And it happens damn quickly because the third action of any given turn is the achievement phase, yes. which is basically, I've got the prerequisite, I claim that achievement. Now, it's not going to happen for however long into the game, but it'll go from zero um, discs on there to all four, possibly in the space of, you know, 10 minutes, 20 yeah, minutes. It's, yeah. it, does, it, it goes from, when's this game going to end to, oh, it's finished, right like that. It it's is that, cool. and I have found that with a game like Scythe. Yeah. Or with a game like June Imperium, where you know it seems like you're still in the weeds, and then all of a sudden someone starts to get ahead, and then it's like bang, 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 because it has that race element of getting to a certain number of points, or in this case, getting those discs down. It can really, you know, you might want to spend time farting around in the space, but you don't have it. You don't have that chance because you see that these achievements are going to be taken, so you've got to go for whatever achievements are left yep. to get it to get it for you and this is sounding really vague and vanilla well, i guess that's because it is well it is but but it's still fun I, I i really like this we played it i mean look let's let's be honest we don't often play the same game three times no we played this game was it like three times in two weeks yeah I think we played it on a weekend and we turned it around again and played it again on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And then maybe the next weekend. So there's got to be something there. Well, look, I, I think there is, and, and it's definitely not the looks, but it is the tech tree. Mm. The, the space board, whether you like it or not, and I don't like it, mm. you have to visit it because there's too many points available for yourself to gain. Yes. There's also too many points for your opponents to gain if you forget yeah. it. Now, for me, the second game... I haven't lost a game of this yet. <laughs> Again. But my, theme. my, the first game doesn't count. Like everyone was learning it. I just, I'm younger, I learn faster. <laughs> Second game, my, my strategy was let me get to this level four technology yeah. as quickly as I can. And I smashed it. I led the technology tree race from start to finish. And I ended up getting two or three of the achievement tokens at the end and, and quite a, quite a clear victory. However, what that gives you is really, as I've said before, the, the, the ability to dictate the kind of game. And I deliberately tried to dictate a game that didn't go military heavy yeah. because the military track is primarily around getting more ships out into yeah, space, in space or moving them a lot more. And that doesn't interest me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like the fact that I had that ability that if, if I was able to get ahead in the tech tree race, which is the one I was focused on, I could choose to dictate that the game wasn't going to be pew, pew, pew yep. ships in space as much as it would otherwise be. There's always going to be because it has to be. Yes. But I didn't want that to be the focus because I just don't enjoy this part of the game. However, if someone else had a different attitude and was able to go up, up a different part of this tech tree or be ahead of it, yep. the game would be completely different. And I really admire that. Yes. I, I admire the flexibility this game gives you which is massive amounts of replayability because I might have a epiphany and go, I love shooting ships in space <laughs> and I now want every technology to be red and let's go and play this game again you and might. we'll see how it plays. Yeah, and I, I think potentially, and look, this could be controversial, whereas, and we talked about it, I think, with a game like Anno 1800, that if someone decides, you know what? I'm not going to take any more workers. I'm going to keep my hand of cards as small as possible and I'm going to get them out as quick as possible and that's that's going to end the game. Yep. If someone decides that, that's going to change the whole nature of the game and potentially upset all the other players because they're in for, you know, a 90-minute, two-hour game or longer and the game could be over in 60 minutes where you've, you've hardly developed anything just because one person's decided. I think you can't influence BTS to the same effect. You can to some degree because you're dictating basically one of the paths from the tech of one to four, but there are two to three other paths. Correct. 
um, that others can still use, and they can do those just as quick as you. And if you decide to do all the non-military, someone else could do all the military and change it right up. The other thing that also stops that kind of sort of shutting down one facet mm. is the achievement cards. Because yeah. the, uh, I think I said three before, there's four. Um, and there's always two of the same, yes. and there's two random yep. ones. And one of, the, one of the two that are always in the game are colonise four planets. Yes. The only way you're going to colonise four planets is to have a big fleet yeah. that goes around and does the thing yep. that it needs to do. So if you want to get points on that particular achievement, you're going to have to be out there and, yeah. and doing that. And then I think the other one that is always out is the get, get a, a level, level four, four technology. Yeah. So, you know, you as you said, you can go one path or the other. Or in fact, you could try and do both. Yeah. And you'll, not- you'll, never, you'll never do both. You'll never get a chance to go, I researched every single yeah. um, level of technology. And you want to because... Every level one technology is one point. Every level two is two points. Yep. Every level three is three. Um, but as you get to the level four technologies, of which there are only a few of them, they are basically your end game multipliers. Yeah. So you, you choose a couple, of whatever color you've got available to you, and basically you're choosing these ones. Now, the interesting thing is that everyone gets them. There's, there's almost no benefit for being the person who researches the thing. Like you don't get the, ta-da, this is a boost. Yeah. Except you get to control the direction of the technology tree. And the one thing we haven't mentioned is the event cards. Yes. So the board, when the game starts, it's not covered in cards that are the actual technologies. They're the event cards. And as you say, I'm researching this level two spot here. Um, You flip it over and an event occurs. The event is typically... is typically just as good for Joe Blow sitting yep. next to me as me, the person who's expended all this time and resources on doing it. You might get a smidge of a better deal. Yep. Yep. I get 1.1 coal or ore and you get one. <laughs> it was hilarious sometime, you know, you're busting a gut to put a technology in that spot thinking, oh, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that amazing event card. And it's like, would you all like to do this thing? Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But look, here's the funny thing, Garth. We started off, I feel, bagging this game a bit. Um, then we said we played it three times in a week. We've been talking for 26 minutes, the clock says wow. here, about this game. So there's clearly, there's, it's, there's something to it. And I certainly feel like while it's not going to be universally loved... I definitely think there are gamers out there that will find this fascinating. And um, you've just flicked up the BGG page. It's it's the 69th ranked strategy game of all time. Nice. Like, that's no slouch. No, it's not. Um, it's rated 8.0. So clearly there are a lot of people out there that, that love this. And uh, it's not for everyone. But if you like tech trees... And you like that ability to tinker around, if you like. Yeah, I think if you like that agency. Yeah. Then I think this this game is actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, um, it's definitely got something going for it. We kept coming back to it and back to it, even though we spent the whole time bagging it out while we were playing it. <laughs> we still wanted to play it again. So it does say a lot for it. Yeah. Look, I I, I think we'll see this game out at BorderCon. Um, you know, there's been some relatively recent reviews from, you know, Shut Up and Sit Down and mm. what have you. And they sell out games straight away and they make games that are otherwise unknown, um, front uh, top of board game geek lists and all that. Yeah. But anyway, look, we've talked enough about Beyond the Sun. If you like the sound of it, buy it or play it. If you don't, then maybe you'll like the next game we're going to talk about after this. You're with the Dice Man Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. This is Chris from Canberra. And when I want to hear content relevant to me, an Australian board gamer in a country town that thinks it's a capital city, I listen to The Dice Men Cometh. Oh, there you go. That was Grace Cummings. Two little birds here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And Garth, we are here. We've spent a lot of time talking about Beyond the Sun, but I've just got a, a quick little game here that I want to mention before we end up. That game... It's called Parks. It is. And I have to thank a good friend of the show and board game barbecue podcaster, Mitch, Uh who sold me his version of the game and I sold him a game that I had on my shelf that I wasn't playing, uh, a coin game, actually, Andy and Abyss. Um, And I didn't realise I was getting the beautiful Kickstarter version with the box sleeve and the 
player mat and everything. It's absolutely lovely. It is and beautiful. No surprise because Parks, the game, is based on art from this iconic 59 Parks print series. So art of each of the national parks in America. That's what we're talking about here. And in this game, players take on the role of hikers, trekking trails to see sites, observe wildlife, take photos and visit all these different national parks. And it's an absolutely lovely looking game. It's got beautiful little wooden tokens. It's got the art from the, that iconic print series. And it reminds me a little bit of something like Takeda, where you're going on a journey. The interesting thing with this game is you have these tiles, little arrow-shaped tiles. Arrow? Yeah, sort of like... Chevron? Chevron-shaped tiles that you can basically shuffle up and then lay out where they all interlink to make a trail. And you play over four seasons, so you're going for a year, funnily enough. Yeah, but it's not spring... Summer, autumn, winter. No, it's just the first season, the second season, the third season. Yeah, but it's called like the season of the bird or the season of the rain or the season of the wind. I guess what it is in each of the seasons is you introduce a new chevron tile and you flip over a new season card, which is sort of like a, a special ability or it dictates the weather. Now, how can the weather dictate a board game, you say? Well, what it is, it's actually some bonus um chips uh the the, the resource tokens that get put out i'm doing what i usually do garth because i'm skipping all over the place here but as i said you've got these lovely little tokens skip mark you meant to be trekking i'm trekking across you've got these lovely little resource tokens for sunlight water mountains and forests why do you want to collect these tokens you might ask well it's because in order to get the parks cards which are effectively the most of the victory points in the game you have to use various tokens. So if you have a park, say, by the name of Dry Tortuga, which is a very strange name for a a water park, (laughs) you might need four water resources to claim it, whereas if you've got the Grand Canyon, you might need lots of sun and some mountains, say, to claim the park. The parks are worth different amount of victory points. They vary between, like, two and five. But when you go trekking, of course... You'll need to take some gear with you. You will. And in this game, you have gear cards, which basically give you little game-breaking, mind-bending abilities to turn one type of token into another or do all sorts of crazy little things. You've also got your canteen because you might get thirsty on your walk, but these canteens, you don't drink from them. You actually fill them up. And when you fill them up, they give you like a little special ability. So there are a few just little twists and turns to take this game from just a la 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 one step, two step, three step, four step, I do the first thing and I do the second thing and I do the third thing. By the time I've done all the things, I'm at the end. Yay. Um, there are these little twists and turns with the gear and the canteens. And then there's a, a special a special ability. They're not really that special. There's an ability on each of the Chevron tiles. It might be to get a resource token. It might be to change resource tokens. It might be to actually visit a park itself because that's the action where you basically turn in your tokens to get the parks, which are the victory points. Now, in the first setup, most probably you'll only be able to get a park at the very end of the season. It's like one of the last things you can do. But then one of those uh, chevrons that will get introduced during the game may be the one that gives you an extra park action. And all of a sudden, instead of being able to get a maximum of two parks in a turn, you might get three or four. Which is amazing. And, and look, you know, as you say, this has, it, it's Takedo light, 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 um, in terms of the movement. But yeah. I, I love the fact that both, oh, sorry, all players, and it can play up to five. Yes. Um, each player has two little hikers, and you're not ha- having to move the hiker that is, you know, only the... The, the closest to the starting mm. tile. You can choose to move any of them more. Um, however, uh, you can't go onto a space occupied by any other um, hiker unless you spend your campfire token, which yes. you have to flip. Um, and the good thing about the campfire token is as soon as one of your hikers gets to the end of the trail, they get to light a fire again and you get to light that again for the other other um, hiker, which is excellent. Now, Garth, did I say this game is absolutely gorgeous? I mean, of course it would be because it's based in nature. Yes, the art is fascinating. I now I haven't seen the non-Kickstarter version, but this has the beautiful little resource tokens cut in the shape of 
the forest, the mountains, the sun, and the water. But then it also has these wild tokens, which are wildlife. And, you know, it might be a little eagle or a little buck or a turtle or a bear or a buffalo or bison, depending on whether it's come out of the hole in the ground, in the West Paddock or not. Um, that's an obscure outer ranges uh, <laughs> reference. Um, you also have a camera. You can take photos on your journey. They just give you a victory point at the end of the game. But, you know, it's another little way that changes it up. And so it's quite a light game. Yes. But it's fun. And, you know, you can, can play it at a very superficial level where you're not too fussed about the gear and you're just going through. You say it's quite tokens. light. It's heavier than every spill. Well, that's the amazing game. thing is that the weight of this game on BGG 2.1, which, as you said, it's quite a bit heavier than all the Spiel-nominated games. I have to mention... Firstly, thanks so much to Mitch. But also, my wife has beaten me every time at this game. But it is, it's lovely, it's fun, it's light. It plays really well with two players, but it plays equally well with three or four or five. You can play it solo, but I'm not going to. I think this game is also ripe for mass selling of the IP mm. to basically, you know, a country like Australia. Yeah. Um, each state could produce oh, a version of yeah. this. Um, we've all we're, we're very blessed in Tasmania yeah. to have so many national yeah. parks. This game could easily be one of those games that appears yeah. in National Geographic or Australian Geographic shops. All of those sort of you know science yeah. education type shops. This game should be in there. Yeah, and I can't talk about the expansion, which is Parks Nightfall. A lot of people say you can't play without it. Well, I am, but I'm sure I'm going to grab it as soon as I can because I've heard good things about that one too. But Garth, yes, I think that is about it. It is absolutely it. We Before we go, we have to mention we've still got our BorderCon competition out there and you're really running out of time fast if you are going to enter. So you better do it super quick. Absolutely. pretty ends. much you might only have a day or two after this episode comes out to still get your episode in, your, your entry in. That's right. So 31 May it closes. And we're going to be heading off to BorderCon not long after that, Garth. But apart from that, it's time to go because we've got to get out of here. We are the Dice Ben Cometh, you're on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of the Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.